Thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast, a production of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This special episode was produced by the Nebraska Writing Project. You are listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. This podcast episode was produced by the Nebraska Writing Project and made possible with a grant from the National Writing Project, National Parks Service Partnership, supporting place-based learning and collaboration between National Writing Project sites and our nation's national parks. Welcome, listeners, to this podcast, Writing the River, a student writing experience, a partnership between the Niobrara National Scenic River of the National Park Service and the Nebraska Writing Project of the University of Nebraska. The Niobrara Student River Float is the third partnership between the National Pro uh, Park Service and the Nebraska Writing Project. Our podcast participants today are Susan Cook, Bobby Rashone and Jan Nisbel. Susan, would you like to give us your uh, National Park Service designation, job description, and um, experience as a ranger? Sure. Um, Susan Cook, and I'm the Program Manager for Interpretation Education Volunteers at Niobrara National Scenic River, and I've been there since last August. Prior to that, I was the Chief of Interpretation and Resource Management at Homestead National Monument of America uh, for the and I was at that park for 28 years. Thank you. And Bobby, would you like to give us your national park experience and what your job description is at the Niobrara Scenic River Park? Sure. So I'm the park ranger interpretation for Niobrara National Scenic River. And I've been with the National Park Service for over 10 years now. Most of that was a seasonal at Ozark National Scenic Riverways in Missouri. And I always like to explain the interpretation is not explaining in a different language. It's actually speaking for the things that can't speak for themselves. So I'm like the Lorax, only not as grumpy. <laughs> so I've been at the Niobrara for a while now. I started as a seasonal in the interpreter division in 2014 and did three seasons before I became a permanent park ranger in 2016 on October 2nd. And that's kind of a really cool day because it's actually the anniversary of the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act on October 2nd. Thank you, Bobby. Yeah. Um, my name is Jan Nispel. I am currently retired from the Valentine Community Schools and Valentine High School, where I was an English teacher for 30 years. I am currently an adjunct professor for the Mid Plains Community College, uh, teaching here at the Valentine uh, Exten Extension Campus. And I have been involved in the Nebraska Writing Project um, as a teacher consultant since 1986 and have been on the Nebraska Board of Directors uh, for the Nebraska Writing Project since 2006. The purpose of our podcast is to describe the partnership between the Niobrara National Scenic River of the National Park Service and the Nebraska Writing Project of the University of Nebraska. How that partnership came about, how we developed the student and possible future teacher workshops, 
the process of rangers and NEWP facilitators as they plan for and create writing activities for students and teachers to develop an appreciation for and an understanding of the unique environment of the scenic river and the culture and future of the river located in North Central Nebraska. The Nebraska Writing Project, positioned on place-based education, has generated the partnerships between the Nebraska Writing Project and the National Park Service. Wendell Berry once said, if you don't know where you are, you don't know who you are. The University of Nebraska, Nebraska Writing Project website states that place-based education utilizes local history, geography, literature, and culture to help students gain a sense of who they are, where they are, and how they can live well in their communities. In the Nebraska Writing Project, we believe that writing is one of the most engaging ways to teach and learn about a place. Similarly, we believe that place-based teaching can help students discover and develop meaningful writing. The purpose of place-based education is to allow writers to understand place and that place is becoming increasingly important in our rapidly changing and interconnected world. The goals and practices of both place-based education and effective writing instruction complement and enhance each other. Place-based education helps connect students, communities, schools, and places in ways that produce more engaged, thoughtful citizens. We broadly define place to include natural and human-made landscapes in rural, urban, and suburban context. The components of place-based education involves the following. Local resources such as people, places, history, and artifacts that form at least part of the curricular content. Students write for audiences beyond the classroom. Learning activities involve both celebration and critique of local places. Learning goals promote active citizenship, including a concern for the welfare of local places. The benefits of place-based education are that students are engaged and gain an understanding of who they are in their place. They gain an understanding of local history, culture, and geography, become better writers through their engagement with place-based topics and projects, use writing to work towards solutions to current problems in their place, understand the past and present diversity of a place, learn to apply writing concepts such as purpose, context, and audience to develop an, an awareness of interdependence and interconnection of place and in writing. Susan is going to describe for us how the possible Niobrara Scenic River Float Partnership came about and how the community here in Valentine and Cherry County was involved in that. Thank you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I've been at Niobrara since last August. And when I was leaving Homestead, I've been working with the Nebraska Writing Project for years there. So I called Dr. Robert Brooke, who's my teaching partner, and I let him know that I was moving to a different park and that my park was in Valentine, Nebraska. And he said that, do you know that Jan Nispel, who has come to the homesteads, lives there? And I said, no, I had no idea. So I said, well, then how come we don't have 
a writing project happening there. And he goes, well, I guess if they never engaged and we didn't engage, I said, well, consider yourself engaged now and let's do something. And I had this idea that I wanted to move forward with, which was I wanted to do a creative writing float. So um, float is anything kayak, canoe, or tube. But I wanted to do a writing float to uh, connect with creative writing. The idea behind it is that we would launch from one spot. You would have teams of a park service employee and a Nebraska writing project uh, partner. And each place would that the kids would stop would be a significant site along the river or we'd be taught about a significant part of what this river is. And so we went, we kind of ran with that idea. He told me to contact, uh, and the next day happened to be a board meeting. And so he presented it to the board meeting and it was agreed upon to, yes, let's move forward with this new partnership. And he called me and said, uh, would you like to work with Jan and let's get started. And so that's what we did. We started, working together to figure out how this might work. This is going to take a lot of community involvement in order to pull it off and do it all safely. Not only as a community, but it's also going to be um, all parts of our staff are part of it. So we have the resource managers, you know, people who know the resource, but we also need the law enforcement rangers who are just there because we know that we need to have at least two adults with each set of canoers. So we plan this to be between four to six hours for an entire day and pull off at three or four places. And there may be two pull offs on the river. We'll also do something at the launch place and then also do something over at uh, where we conclude. And originally we were planning for multiple days because we had multiple schools that had interest, but with uh, the pandemic, we've cut it back now to um, the seniors at Valentine High School. So we're looking at like 35 for this year, but it will be a great start for us. Uh, other community members that are part of this is we have the Niobrara uh, Council is a partner within, the par within our park. Uh, they have resources as far as people that can help in canoeing. We have the Niobrara Outdoor Educators, and that's a group of um, different groups around the community that do outdoor education and they will also be some of the adults that will be floating with the kids and uh, we know each group of five to ten um, we want to keep it at five if possible we'll have two adults just so we can make sure we know exactly where they are and if anybody has issues we're ready to help out uh, we also uh, one of the places we want to take out at is Smith Falls State Park so we have the state park connection and when I talked to the director or uh, their manager, she happened to have an English degree and she was so excited to even be a part of this and to lend her skills in any possible way. And so we're working with her. Um, we know that we'll do, that's where we'll, everybody will end and how the ending will look, whether we have a couple of uh, readouts together based on launch times. Um, if we had the full day, which we could probably handle about 100 students per day if we needed to, and we would have had graduated starts and stops, basically. Um, we also have our sister agency, the Fish and Wildlife Service, 
and we have Fort Nair Brera, and we're very close in working with them. Uh, Fort Nair Brera was built right along the river, and it's within our designated area. Um, at that place, we have different partner, the partnership with them is space and it's stories and it's different things. Um, even the Cherry County Tourism is interested in what are we doing. Um, I was at a, a real fire meeting, talked a little bit about this. Several of them offered that we want to volunteer, we want to be a part of it. The Sand Hills Friends Group, which supports the wildlife refuges, they're interested in helping and want to be a part of it. So it's pretty neat. It's really, it's taking community. And part of this that I didn't anticipate too is that we have a group of around 15 students, Oto, Missouri kids from Oklahoma. The Tribal Historic Preservation Officer from the Oto, Missouri tribe contacted me saying she wanted to bring her youth and wondered what we had going on in the fall, told her about this. She wants to involve the kids to come. Uh, they'll experience it with us, but then they'll all, with what we're doing with the river, but they'll also experience some of their uh, traditional sacred places. So it's really is community is all about this. And we're very excited to be bringing this to the community. And we've met with high school, we've meet, met with educational service unit, um, getting into the educational uh, arenas and we have a lot of support from them as far as promoting or making schedules work so it just takes coordination with everybody to make it happen um, some of the things that we're going to be talking about is that when we have these different groups in order to be in a national wild and scenic river niagara national scenic river we protect 76 miles of wild and scenic river with 250 water plus waterfalls and six ecosystems. Within that, we also have paleontology. We have the Native American aspects, as I was you know, spoken about before. At Fort Niagara, we have the Buffalo Soldiers. Uh, one of the things that's kind of cool is that we also have a connection to civics and this event is going to take place on September 17th, which is Constitution Day. So we want to get an aspects of civics in here. We want the students to realize that this is part of what um, a group of people at some point in time decided this was worth saving and fought for that to happen. So we want them to learn about their own areas. So within our team teaching, we'll be doing um, a mindfulness or using the resource to kind of clear your mind and using the sense of place where you're just listening to what's around you and then to clear your mind and then to kind of also spur the kids into realizing this river is unique and what is its future and they as, as citizens and future leaders they're the ones that need to be protecting places like this and make sure it continues to stay protected who knows what else might need protecting in the future. So, you know, helping inspire them to realize that even though they're in a rural area, their, their voice still matters. So we also sit on a paleontological um, resource. Uh, there is a huge amount of fossils found in the cliffs around this river. Uh, we also have um, a suffragette. Um, I spoke with a 
Clara Colby expert. And she said that Clara Colby, it's documented she was in Valentine at some point in time, met with a female woman home or a woman homesteader who was very active in the right to vote. And so we're looking for that information, you know, what better thing to tie into during a Constitution Day, but more civics, but, you know, show, show our youth that even in the rural areas, your voice does matter. So we're looking at all these different experiences and kind of looking at what do we have time for and what don't we have time for, but looking to give them a, a broad um, array of things to experience. Thank you, Susan. Bobby, would you like to give us um, some information regarding how the Niobrara became a scenic river and what that designation means? Okay, so to kind of understand how that designation came about, you have to understand a little bit about the history of river protection in the United States. Um, America got very damn happy, and I mean damn D-A-M, after a major flooding occurred on like the Mississippi, the Colorado, a lot of your bigger rivers. And uh, we started seeing a lot more dam building projects during President Hoover up until the New Deal era and beyond that into the 80s as well. Um, there was a little bit of a pause during World War II where a lot of dams were not being built, so you start seeing kind of a the growing grassroots movement to protect rivers during that time. Um, after we see some of the bigger rivers, like the Grand Coulee go up on the Col uh, Columbia River, Hoover Dam going up on the Colorado, Lynn Canyon, you start seeing a lot more grassroots movements to kind of uh, prevent these dams from going in mainly because you were losing a lot of your natural beautiful areas as well as a lot of cultural historical heritage sites. Um, thousands of petroglyphs, or petroglyphs were uh, covered by water on the Columbia, on the Colorado, and you, you lose those whenever that happens. Um, a lot of the grassroots movements started becoming more common during the 1950s, and the Craig Hud brothers were kind of the leaders of that. Um, Frank Craighead became very active in the conservation of wild rivers, and much of the National Wild and Scenic Rivers Act was actually written by him from his writings. Um, in 1958, Congress created the Outdoor Recreational Resources Review Commission, and the Secretary of the Interior, which was Stuart Udall, asked Frank to write a, or prepare a paper on river classification, and asked the Secretary of the Agriculture to organize a wild and rivers uh, wild and scenic river study team. Um, one reason why this was, became kind of a popular thing during that time was Eisenhower, he saw the damming process as creeping socialism, especially whenever it was federal dams going in. And so you kind of see this movement to keep dams off of rivers, uh, especially grassroots ones, like I was saying. Um, the current river in the Missouri Ozarks was one of those. In fact, that's actually the first river to ever receive protection for a, uh, from the government as a watershed and as a river. And that predated the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act by four years, that was 1964 whenever Ozark was established. Um, it took 16 different versions of the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act to finally get to 1968 where we have the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act passed. And um, the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act preserves the essence of rivers that surge, ramble, gush, wander, and weave. So in order to become a wild and scenic river, you have to um, kind of follow a little bit of a process. 
And the National Wildlife Sacred Rivers Act defines rivers as deserving of legal protections because they are free flowing and possess outstanding and remarkable scenic, uh, recreation, geological fish and wildlife, historic, cultural or other similar values or outstandingly remarkable values. And it took eight, eight rivers were the original one, but that's grown since then. We're now up to 209 rivers in 40 states in Puerto Rico. And it's a little over 12,700 miles. And there's three ways you can get designated, um, wild, scenic, and recreation. Each category is defined by its accessibility and level of surrounding development. Wild rivers are primitive without development and are generally only accessible by trail, while recreational rivers are accessible by road or rail and have shoreline or watershed, watershed developments and scenic rivers fall in between. And so like I was saying, a lot of these rivers that fall into this, they, are fall, they, they get promoted by local movements and they get pushed into Congress in order to become part of that wild and scenic river system. So following a detailed study to determine if a river is suitable and has the public support to be protected by a Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, it is generally designated by an act of Congress. And the 1980s were a really powerful uh, point for a lot of these rivers. That's whenever you see them actually, um, a lot of the scenic river growth during that time. And one of the rivers during the 1980s was the Niobrara. And there's actually gonna be a dam on the Niobrara called Norton. And that Norton Dam project um, would have basically dammed the river back up from Norton about 13 or up about 20 river miles so that most of the popular section of the river would have been underwater and we wouldn't be able to float that section. A lot of the waterfalls would have been lost to us and some other stuff too, but it was actually uh, local landowners, outfitters, and then people from surrounding communities like Omaha, Lincoln, that came together to stay the Niobrara. In fact, that was actually the name of the group that lobbied the Nebraska legislature and also Congress in order to get the river protected. Um, in 1991, they finally got it established as a, the Niobrara National Scenic River, and that was on May 24th, and here we are today. Um, one more important thing to know is that not all wild and scenic rivers are managed by the National Park Service. They're actually fairly spread out throughout different agencies. In fact, the Forest Service has the most wild and scenic rivers under their um, designation. Thank you, Bobby. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important that we establish for our leaders where we are geographically. Uh, Nebraska is one of the Central Plains states, basically about smack dab in the middle of the United States. Cherry County is the largest county in Nebraska and it may be the largest county um, square mileage wise in the United States. It is about 7,000 square miles and 50 miles of that approximately is waterway or ponds and lakes. We are in Valentine, Nebraska, which is a small town of about 3,000 people nine miles from the South Dakota border. And the Valentine area is considered to be the um, hub of our geographical area. Our industry is agriculture and tourism for the most part. 
And a great deal of tourism occurs in Cherry County and in Valentine because of the Niobrara River. The Niobrara River uh, is a significant part of the culture and the geography and the activity of Cherry County and of Valentine, Nebraska. One of the significant ideas behind our partnership with the Nebraska Writing Pro Project and the National Park Service is to use, as I mentioned before, the place where the students are to help them to view themselves as part of that place and to use their writing to generate ideas about the place where they live and the place that they're building um, and the place that they're existing in at that point in time. Susan, would you like to talk briefly about the logistics of our planning that we've gone through? Yes, we started working with, um, well, Jan and I, and kind of actually looking at what are the stories that we could tell. So, you know, briefly, some of the things we'd like to introduce the youth to, because these youth have grown up around this river, and yet they really don't know why it's significant, why it was worthy of a national wild and scenic river designation. So that's one of the things we hope to open and introduce them to is these aspects that they truly don't know about their own river. Um, so we talked about what are those topics, which we kind of talked about earlier. Um, met with the school system to get teacher input and then started just kind of mapping it out and looking at you know, where, where can we get them on the water, where can we get them off the water, where are the places that we could pull off while on the water, and involve the outfitters. Um, our outfitters, we have an annual meeting with them, and when we asked them about would they be willing to help with an event like this, there was exuberant, yes, we would love to be a part of something like this. So that was pretty neat, but they, we need them to have the canoes to get these kids moving around. So kind of started working with doing production schedules. Um, many times when you do a writing event like we've done in the past, you have, we have, um, say you have 100 kids, you have four presentations, so 25 kids in each group, everybody starts at a presentation, you go in a circular a route, everybody goes to everything. This is different because it's linear. So we had to have different starts, different stops. Um, how long do we have in between? How long do we have to actually float to that presentation? How long does the instructor, do the instructors have to talk to the kids and actual writing in that place? One logistic is how do you write? There's waterproof paper out there so they can write on that or we just collect it near the end. Uh, even the logistic of how do you get your pres presentate presenters excuse me out to the areas what we ended with is it looks like we'll have two places along the river we pull out on we'll do one presentation at the beginning launch areas so some kids will be launching while others are doing a presentation that presenter will then move to the end and those kids who launched right away will actually get uh, that presentation at the end. And so we can extend how we're doing it. 
um, when I talk about the outfitters, uh, the outfitters are the businesses. We have 12 different businesses that rent canoes and um, basically offer um, river excursions. And so they're our partners in making this happen. We have to have them. The park owns a few, but we definitely need to have them. Uh, one of our launch sites that we can use is on the Fish and Wildlife Service. So we need Fort Niobrara to also be on board and helping us with, you know, being able to use their launch areas. So right now that's kind of where we're looking at and then looking at how do we tie civics into this? Because as I said, it's going to happen on Constitution Day. So one of the overarching goals is how do we engage these kids so they realize that even if they're a very rural school, they've grown up in a rural place, their voice does matter. And significant things have happened when people speak up and really um, promote something. So hopefully we'll inspire that in them. And so kind of adding to what Susan was saying about how this uh, floating plan is gonna work, uh, the, the launching start's gonna be at the Fort Niobrara National Wildlife uh, Fort Niobrara launch, and we'll end at Smith Falls State Park. Kind of tying back earlier to our conversation about where we're located, Smith Falls State Park is pretty much the geographical center of the United States if you're going by continental landmass. And it's kind of a neat area where you have a lot of overlap with eastern and western and northern and southern species. And that kind of ties back into how the Niobrara was designated under the ORVs. And it's going to be about a three-hour float total time from uh, Fort Niobrara launch down to that Smith Falls State Park uh, launch site or landing. And we're going to be doing those two different spots kind of in um, hopefully equal time increments for that three hours. That way it'll be a little bit easier to kind of stagger people in groups off on and off of that. And kind of tying into what Susan was saying about Constitution Day and activism, nearly all of the wild and scenic rivers that have been brought to um, Congress and have been approved, that's all been done because of activism, of local communities coming together and doing that. And so as you see, water usage and construction progress, uh, construction projects increase, especially along rivers because we're constantly um, sprawling out into other areas, you're gonna see more activism for rivers from local grassroots groups. And it'll be interesting to see how whenever we do the floating, uh, riding project float, how long it's gonna actually take to do all that and talk about all these different things. It'll probably be about six hours whenever we're actually done, not just the float time alone, right Susan? Correct. I think it's important for us to note for our listeners that the Nebraska Writing Project facilitators and the Nebraska Park Service Rangers work hand in hand in planning the presentations that we're going to give to our students um, to focus on that place where they are when they write. Susan and I and Bobby and the rest of the Rangers at the Niobrara River are in deep discussion as to where we're going to be stopping, what um, ranger information is going to be given to the students, and what writing activities are going to be suggested to the students 
to bring them into focus of the place where they are. Um, we have found that through our agate experience and through our homestead experience, that students become extremely focused in those areas when we can give them the information about the place that we're in and then give them some suggestions based on that place as to what kinds of things can they write about. Susan, would you like to give us a brief description of the mindfulness activity that happened at Homestead that we plan to also use and bring to our activities and our writing workshop here at uh, Niobrara Scenic River? Yes, um, we did a mindfulness activity where we wanted to focus um, students on nature and then we talked about the benefits medical benefits of nature the background behind it was we wanted kids to be able to use mindfulness to kind of close down and their mind from wandering everywhere else and to focus on a certain thing uh, to focus on a certain thing what we did was we had the students we gave them some you know background information but we had, at one time, we had 99th graders sitting in the prairie, around five feet from each other, no cell phones, no talking, no fidgeting. They were just totally quiet. Their instructions were to use all of their senses except for taste. We didn't want them eating stuff off the ground. <laughs> but they were to, to listen, to smell, to see, and feel what was around them. And... It was really powerful because we, this was a total, we didn't know if it'd work or not. It was a total experiment. And we had those kids sitting there for 15 minutes, totally engaged and focused in what was happening around them. And so after they were done with that, we gave them some prompts of, you know, write down exactly what you experienced. And then we used, and then we gave a little bit more writing instruction, and they used the, that experience to do their writing. Now, in previous experiences, um, we even had the National Poet Laureate talking to the kids, and we got stuff like, oh, my boyfriend dumped me, or my car broke down, I had a bad day, just strange things. Um, they had no meaning to it. What ended up happening by doing it with place space and by doing it right there where they're experiencing that environment, we got a writing piece that talked about how this student watched a drop of dew fall from one leaf to another leaf to the ground and making a divot in the ground, um, feeling the, the air blow through their, past their face and through their hair, uh, the buzz of a bee, um, the sounds of the birds, the sound of the wind, and, and it mattered to the kids. They truly did. And part of what this is is mindfulness. If you practice this, it is known to open up your mind to be more creative and to be able to focus better. And a recent study I just um, heard about and read about was that the children born in the year 2020 may not ever hear nature and it's because everything's being developed around it. So we need to protect places like the rivers to create a, our national parks, to create a place for, these for people to go and experience these things. 
that what was so amazing was by changing and giving them a focus of the place that they were at, all their writing changed. It was just amazing. And see, I think that's really cool with the Nebraska Writing Project and also what we're doing as interpreters is we get to use place-based education to create all these different topics. And even our discussion on what we should be doing during this river float uh, planning has just been interesting because we have so many things we can choose from, including the mindfulness, but also we can talk about the fort history, we can talk about geology, we can talk about the paleontology, and just kind of trying to focus those down to what we should be doing for our spots is just kind of interesting. It's been a fun conversation. Yes, I think that's probably the thing that I find most intriguing and most beneficial to students and teachers when they're writing on the river or at Homestead or at Agate is that we're able to bring them to that place. And as Bobby said, we have so many opportunities at our national parks to make it possible for students and teachers and others to gain an experience, to have an appreciation, and to see themselves as being integral to that place, and also to see themselves as creative writing people in that place. One of the things that we, are, that we always plan to do when we are doing one of these workshops is to have to bring the group of students together and ask them to share one of the writings that they created um, as we have gone through our process of the workshop. And as Susan had mentioned earlier, some of the writing that our students who can be very young uh, eighth graders, ninth graders, and in, in, in case of the, the students here, seniors in high school, is that they, they don't recognize how much potential they themselves have to create something in the place where they are. And then it's important, of course, for teachers to be able to take their experience with their students from where they are to other places in the park to utilize the park and other place-based um, sites to engender and help our students to become creative writers and to become better writers. And, and that is an extremely important part of what we do. We've been a part of the National Write Out Project for, well, since it started. And Niobrara National Scenic River is going to participate in the write-out this year with a marathon writing event. So basically we want to have somebody writing in hour increments, 24 hours. And what I'm hoping is that these kids, after having experienced their river um, creative writing float, that they're their writing river event, that they're going to want to come and sign up for some of these time periods. And basically the prompt is, what the river means to me. Why is this river important? And I'm hoping that they will want to come out and be a part of that with us. When we have our read-arounds at the end of our workshops, the first thing we ask our participants to do is to state their name and say, I am a writer. And I think in the past, when teachers have taught writing, we've taught it in a very sterile classroom area 
where we give an assignment to the students and we tell them what their parameters are. And we say it has to be this long and it can't be this or it can be that. But when we are in our National Park and Nebraska Writing Project experience, anything and everything that you write is acceptable. I also think that students sometimes see their teachers in the English classroom as being an expert or dictator of what needs to be written, but they don't necessarily see their teachers as writers. And I know in my own classroom when I was teaching at Valentine High School, um, we did writing experience at place-based writing and we did writing marathons and I always wrote with my students and I always shared my writing with my students. And I think that gives them permission as well as value to see that teachers and National Park Service Rangers are writers also. And that gives them inspiration and it also gives them permission to be writers. State is produced by Robert Lipscomb. Post-production by Stephen Ramsey. Music by Shadows on a River. On behalf of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast. Tagline forthcoming. <laughs>